Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Sullivan. Mr. Jackson. Excuse me, I was still on London time. <laughs> Welcome to Cloudlandia, East Coast oh, thank you. United States time. Yeah. How was yeah, your trip? Just, uh, it was interesting. Air Canada has adopted a new policy regarding baggage. Uh-huh. If there's two of you, one of your bags arrives two days later, and the other one arrives the evening before you're going to return back to Toronto. Oh, I see. Okay. That's a great policy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. In, in case you didn't have any sense of excitement about your baggage, this extra step on their part is an enhancement, you know, like you're so happy about it. You're so happy. I mean, when the bag comes off the plane and is, you know, you pick it up as normal, there isn't a very high excitement level if you've been flying for 50 years. Right. This just introduced a whole new sense of anticipation and, you know, kind of less to repack. If it arrives yes. the night before, you just thought it's saving. It's a time saving, really. Yeah, yeah, sense of, yeah. So, uh, you know what I think it is, and this is probably a topic worth exploring, <clears throat> that I've been reading a lot about the <clears throat> employment problems in large corporations. Okay. Not in the sense that they're looking for good people. And I think one of the reasons is that they're really good people who had been understanding work systems and work and had understood teamwork, like not necessarily the way it's written up in the manuals, but the way that they had actually worked things out. A lot of those individuals chose during COVID to just take early retirement. And so what's missing from all the big corporations is something that I would call wisdom. In other mm-hmm. words, institutional wisdom. In other words, they know how to solve problems in hundreds of ways which aren't really written down. And what they've ended up with is brand new people trying to operate according to the rule books. But the rule books don't actually create a customer satisfaction. Do you know what I've noticed now? Like in terms of since COVID, since everybody's remotely working, is the number of stories of people getting caught with two or more full-time jobs, that they're getting two positions and neither of the other companies know that they're working for the other full time. Yes, they're doing two full-time <laughs> jobs by yeah. remote. And you were talking yeah. about retiring. There's, well, I forget this what the phrase the was, but it was on the this job is, retirement. Yeah, this is sort of the opposite to the G. Yeah. Well, these, yeah. What, the and retirement other, thing is not, it's retiring from the work without retiring from the paycheck. It's doing <laughs> the bare minimum. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, well, basically, the before they were getting a full, check, a full paycheck from just one company, uh-huh. for not doing very much. So they decided they just not do very much for two companies That's and get exactly two paychecks. Right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Isn't that funny? Oh, they, what they're, they're they're devious devious creatures. Humans are. Yeah. Yes. Looking for, but that, you know that's advantage. Kind of where looking for advantage. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. But that's, yeah. you know, there's that whole that's opening up a whole new world for people who can, you know, work in the results economy that get can get paid to do the one thing, the unique ability thing that they do for multiple people. Yeah. Yeah. So there. So how is how was London? I miss it. I haven't been. Well, in, it uh, was very short. It was a short trip. The reason being that once we got back to being able to travel, everything that was like a of a conference nature that had been postponed during COVID got put into the schedule for March, April, and May. So Babs and I have been essentially on the road two-thirds of the last seven weeks mm-hmm. you know, to trips to San Diego, trips to Phoenix, trips to Florida, trips to... Yeah. You know, usual trips to Chicago, but for the last 20 years, we've always had like a two and a half week trip to London, you know, yeah. and a few days of that are work. You go twice a year to London, don't you? No, we have done that. We did it uh, yeah. in 19 simply because we had a funeral to go to in the fall. Oh. And, uh, but no, normally it's, Two and a half months in May. May is a pretty good month to be there. Yeah. Usually mm-hmm. nice weather. <clears throat> and a lot of things happening. They have the Jubilee, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of monarchical a lot of monarchial things are take place in May. Weddings, mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> you know <clears throat> when somebody's been queen for two hundred years they, they celebrate <laughs> that. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, they well, they, live, uh, they, they rain for a long time. They rain for a long time. I mean, uh, the, uh, the, yeah. uh, you go back, uh, the very famous king who, uh, you know, was the cause of the American Declaration of Independence, yeah. uh, George III. He, I'm just trying to think the number of monarchs they've had since then. They had one, two, three, four, five, six. They've had six including mm-hmm. George himself. So they've had seven monarchs in the last 230 years, and that's an average of about 35 yeah. years each, you know. So, And she's made up for it. Yeah. She's made it. Uh, the present queen has made up for two reigns. She's 70 years. Yeah. And uh, I think it's first week of June or something like that. And, yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. And, um, you know, and there's something to be said for that. I bet she's got enormous institutional wisdom, which has not been passed on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, were the streets of Soho a buzz? I remembered fondly our uh, long walk all over Soho. and the book Yeah, we actually, we I think Bab sent you a uh, yeah, the picture from uh, the Facebook same from 10 Greek, uh, 10 Greek Street, where we... Yeah. Had dinner after our lawn walk that day. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean nothing particular that I noticed. We were staying at the Ham Yard, which is closer, you know, is in Piccadilly. Yeah, it's just steps. You walk out the hotel, and then five six minutes, you're at Piccadilly. Is Circus. that the same? That's the Firmdale. same hotel Firmdale. chain, Firmdale, right? Firmdale, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but <clears throat> we follow our concierge that we've had for twenty years, and. 
he yeah. was instrumental in communicating with Air Canada because <clears throat> it's not an activity that we enjoy even when there's nothing wrong. Uh huh. Wow. Well, I think yeah. I remember. I think I told you the the Four Seasons has a new new hotel over there at London mm-hmm. Tower Bridge. Mm-hmm. That yeah. You did tell home me home in in London, and I miss it. I miss it a lot. Yeah, and Toronto well, it was too quick. Good grief! Too... Uh, Toronto, yeah. Well, you'll still have to wear a mask if you come back here. You know. Oh my goodness. Here. Air Canada is not taking any chances at all the, wow. <clears throat> that they could catch COVID from you. And okay, so they're putting all their efforts. Uh, in, they're putting all their efforts in in people being very <clears throat> observant of the mask rule. But yeah. meanwhile, they're not delivering your bags. Well, I'll have on to time. wear my my monkeypox body suit pretty soon. Yep. I guess. Yep. Yep. That's next. That would probably do it. Yeah. Well, they're desperately, you know, the government officials are desperately looking for a new disease to, in which uh-huh. to lock us down, you know. Yep. And, and they're trying so, to set the foundation. Yeah. They were trying to get the war going. Sounds you know, aggressive. Yeah, we would have. But uh, Ukrainian Ukrainians have more or less handled part of it on their own. So they're not requiring. <clears throat> troops coming over from North America to fight in the battles. You know, just send us money and just send us technology. We'll do the rest. Mm. So, yeah. It's well, odd, is- isn't it? I mean, it's mm-hmm. really odd. I mean, you've lived your entire lifetime without a war of this kind going on. That's true. And I've really been taking a page out of the Dan Sullivan playbook and paying less and less attention to it now. Okay. I haven't, I want, don't really participate in the news. You know, that's been a recent development. I've been more. What are you discovering out of that? Because I find that when you cut off one habitual sort of source of information, your brain goes and searches out new things to do with your attention. Well, you said something that was very influential to me. It struck me the way that you said about your, you know, cutting off TV and things like that, that you said, what I've got going on in in my brain <laughs> or in my mind or in my world is much more, infinitely more interesting than anything going on in the outside world. Yeah. And that has been where my, where my mind's been going, yeah. is spending yeah. more time in contemplation, more time thinking, journaling, all of that stuff. I've got. There's way more, an infinite you know, richness of. Someone else's. I saw a podcast, I forget who the gentleman was, but he's a college, a university professor at either Stanford or Princeton, one of those. And he teaches a social communications class and really talking about the influence of social media and the, you know, he does a poll at the beginning of the class of having people, you know, turn, take at their iPhone and look at the screen time 
And he's saying that on average, it's 12 to 15 hours a day of screen Mm, time that these these college kids now are Mm -hmm. having. That's literal, like, well, you get up into 15 hours every waking moment. That's kind of of your waking hours. That's exactly right. And so he said what we're missing out on is boredom. And boredom is where new thoughts come. Mm -hmm. Boredom is that our brains are, we're kind of wired to seek the highest and best use of what we could be doing kind of thing, right? So if we're, Mm -hmm. boredom serves a purpose that if we're picking blueberries, Mm -hmm. for instance, and then we get to a point where we've, you know, the reward, the reward ratio is off that there's less and less blueberries for the effort that we're putting in to find it. That's a Mm -hmm. signal to maybe we should go find another more fruitful bush, right? Mm -hmm. To keep that reward going. And it's an interesting thing that we don't have that mechanism. We don't allow that mechanism to take place, to observe what's going on in our lives because we fill every down moment with every down moment with screen time. We start Mm -hmm. sucking in dopamine and all these, you look at where you look at what's winning right now in that landscape is this infinite scroll of 20 to 40 to 60 second talks and you know, Instagram and Facebook scroll where we can infinitely scroll to the, you know, it fills the time available that we have without it being an investment of, you know, any amount of time to watch one thing, constant novel. You know, you, you mentioned something there, which I think is at the heart of the matter and that's the dopamine. Okay. And, uh, you know, when you're, you know, you're just born and, you, you know, you're one or two years old, <clears throat> you haven't figured anything out yet. You know, mm. there's, uh, there's, I mean, you've got one other human being sort of partially figured out that if you make a noise or something, <laughs> you can get that other person to <laughs> pay attention to you and everything yeah. like that. But I think that, the, you know, the, there's two words that, you prompted when you what you just said about what that professor said and that is there's two words and it's kind of a neat thing about english but they use exactly the same letters and the first word is reactive you know that i think we're trained first of all in life to react you know in other words uh, that we react and we get other people to react okay so we kind of major in reaction you know for the first part of our life but there's a crossover point <clears throat> where the letters rearrange them the letters that make up reactive uh, re- can rearrange themselves into creative okay mm. and the interesting thing about it is that they both pump dopamine they both pump dopamine but mm. leading a reactionary life to get dopamine means that you're not in control you know you have no you have no control and creativity on the other hand is where you take control 
of yeah. getting the dopamine. So I think probably, I mean, the, there's kind of a fork in the road. I don't know when it is. Uh, I remember a younger brother that I had, and I was in Iceland one summer, and he said, boy, I would like to go to Iceland. And so, you know, he paid part of it, but I paid most of it. And he came over, and he had read about Iceland, and, you know, he had studied it before he came over. And Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, so what are we going to do today? Okay, which I can kind of understand on the first day, what are we going to do today? And so I very quickly put together an agenda for the day and, you know, took him around. And then the next day he was sitting there and he says, so what are we going to do today? You know, (laughs) and not once during his stay, which was about six days, did he ever mention anything that he had read about. Oh, I'd like to go see this. I'd like to go. So in other words, he was totally in a reactionary mood, you know, a a reactionary mode. And there wasn't any creativity to what he was doing. And I said, boy, you you took a different fork in the road than I did. Yeah. You know, so, so the interesting thing is, and I don't know what it is that either wakes up the creative approach or it stays dormant, you know, and Oftentimes, mm-hmm. the only time people are really creative is when there's an emergency, when there's a, you know, there's a threat of losing something, then they become creative. They'll do, think of mm-hmm. something new, they'll do something of new. Take what the tech, you know, the social media platforms have understood, <clears throat> that most people don't see their attention as being anything valuable. All they associated mm. is that if other be- people can give them something to focus their attention on, that might trigger the dopamine, which they're looking for. What they mm-hmm. do know is that, but a lot of people don't even know they're looking for dopamine. They just call it feeling good or feeling fascinated mm-hmm. or feeling intrigued. But they mm-hmm. don't realize that that's actually a byproduct of something that happens before that, you know. That's interesting that you can yeah. create it. You can, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you can create your, if you can endlessly create your own dopamine supply yeah. and actually do a better job of it, do a better job of it than outside influences, I, I think that's mm-hmm. a great freedom. Yeah, I'll tell you, like a, a pen and a pad and a question can provide mm-hmm. infinite, a great launching pad for creativity. It's a brainstorm. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like such a great, such a great thing. And I think driven by, I think when you're driven it by a rich, you know, inventory of wants, that really is a, is a great jumping off point, you know, like your whole idea of wanting what you want and being clear on what you want. Then it's like brainstorming about those wants becomes there's so much clarity that comes from that yeah it's amazing and i find even just like i would say (coughs) just looking at the you know as far as like tv netflix you know just default surfing you know on ott things you know netflix all of that on the tv was probably like a four hour a day thing for me and yeah, so 
you know, it's, I, I think, and I've experimented before with, with some swap outs, you know, like instead of watching Shark Tank is to have a think tank, you know, just mm-hmm. block, I would often have my own think tank and brainstorm about my own opportunities rather than watching passively somebody else's opportunities get explored, you know? Now, yeah. I'm not downplaying that in that I, a lot of the ideas that I have are because of my awareness of and paying attention to pop culture and what's going on kind of things, you know? Because I, I tend to have a connective process where I'm, I think yeah. and examine why things are and how they're working like that. Like I would put the VCR formula as a one of those by really yeah. thinking through what is Kylie Jenner doing here that that has mm-hmm. given her the opportunity to be a billionaire, you know? And by the way, Mr. Beast Burger now has passed a hundred million dollars in its <laughs> first fifteen months. Of operation mm-hmm. and yeah, for those who uh, are over just a thousand in, restaurants now, yeah. give a little ba- give a little background to that so, because yeah, yeah, you can uh, give a prog- progress report for yeah. the Beast Frontier. All right, I was observing this. Uh, What's his actual name, by the way? What's Jimmy Donaldson? Is his name Jim- from yeah. Carolina? So He's from right? North Carolina, right? Exactly, yeah. and the guy has figured out the he's the top youtuber in and the he's world. in his 20s now right he's in his yeah, 20s. early 20s early 20s yeah. he's just been single-mindedly focused on one thing he's got absolute tunnel vision which is how to make amazing youtube videos and that's been his whole mission and it's a interesting you know case study in single-minded focus and picking a winning horse, you know, like I think he's picked a platform that is durable, you know, YouTube is not going anywhere. And our desire for watching, watching stuff is not going away. And he's at a point where now he can get 50 million views on videos, which is far more than any television show now. Like oh, there, yeah. there was, I was talking. No, I mean, gold. if a television showed seven or eight million, that's exactly great. right. I just had a nice catch up with Joel Zadak. Oh yeah, a couple of weeks ago, and because I was reading about the upfronts were going on in New York City a few weeks ago, and that's where. Traditionally, the networks have showcased all of their fall slate of programming that's coming out to advertisers to get them all frothy about advertising on those shows to reach that audience. And this was the first time that they really, it wasn't even, it was more about the digital things than it was about the broadcast things. And it was almost like an admission by the networks that they realized that's a dying model. And because mm-hmm. in 2002, there, you know, they had several shows in over 10 million friends had 20 plus million 
viewers per week of their show. Now there's only three shows on all of network television that reliably have more than 10 million viewers and their legacy shows that the crime mm-hmm. procedurals that have well, that the, audience. You know, the other thing about that is the accessibility, you know, and the, in other words, that there's, you know, and that it's something that I departed from, you know, yeah. four years ago. So in uh-huh. July, it'll be four years. And that one of the things that I found irritating uh, about network presentations that was yeah. uh, according to their schedule, not my schedule. Right. I was laughed because remember I, I mentioned that article in the New York Times about convenience several yeah. years ago, maybe in 2018. And they said that once, you know, that was in the context of once we experience a new level of convenience, we don't go backwards historically. And so once you get a taste of, you know, a mechanical washing machine, you don't go back to hand washing your clothes. And once you get a taste of streaming television shows, you it's difficult and almost a little undignified to have to be in front of the TV well, it's annoying. at a particular it's annoying. time. Exactly. But undignified was such a great word that it was like the tail mm. wagging the dog kind of thing, right? That it's little undignified that you've got to sit there at the appointed hour to watch this show interrupted by, you know, infinite commercials. There's now only, you know, 22 minutes in a 30 minute. So eight minutes of commercials in a 30 minute broadcast. And so that's a really interesting thing. But all of that was, you know, paying attention and that we were talking about Jimmy Donaldson and how what I saw <laughs> happening with him was, you know, about 15 months ago now, just before, maybe 18 months now, just before Christmas, he launched a restaurant, Mr. Beast Burger, in partnership. Mm-hmm. This was a, you know, Collaboration. Zone collaboration with mm-hmm. virtual dining concept to launch 300 restaurants on the same day with the power of one video that got 50 million views. And immediately, it's like having your own Super Bowl ad, right? That you could create, that you've got an audience that is totally your target audience because he's built them that way. So, so paying attention to that and along with what, you know, Kylie Jenner was doing in partnership with Seed Labs with her mm. cosmetics line, that led me to see the context of what I developed yeah. as the VCR. You know, you know uh, yeah. this is on a lesser level. It's not as extraordinary as Mr. Beast is what Peter Zion has done during COVID, but especially since the war in the, in Ukraine I don't uh, know broke out. Been, yeah. And it, what's interesting that he wrote a book in 2018 called Disunited Nations. 
And in it, he made a prediction that sometime in 2022, the Russians would invade Ukraine. Okay, so mm-hmm. they, he four years, four years previously, and he did that by looking at the demographics and population, demographics and geography of Russia, and he said they will feel extraordinarily paranoid every year going forward, and they'll have to go on the attack probably in 2022. Okay. And, of course, in February 2022, according right. to his prediction, they, they did for the reasons that he's talking about. And uh, But so what he's doing is he's doing updates constantly. He does little seven, uh-huh. eight-minute updates on YouTube. And then he puts together the thesis, go-forward thesis. Now that this has happened, what else did I predict now that's going to fall in place because this is a very dramatic proof of what my mm-hmm. what my formula is. That my prognostication abilities, right? Yeah, you don't understand anything unless you understand the interplay between geography and demographics. In other words, where is a country located? Who's mm-hmm. outside their borders? Are they mm-hmm. friends or foes? And the other thing is, what's happening to your own population? Is your population mm-hmm. an aging population? Is you know is it a is it an okay population? You got lots of young people working, and uh, and he said that you can just take any country and sort of analyze its situation. And Russia is one of those countries that has been invaded fifty times apparently in the course mm-hmm. of a couple of thousand years. In other words, whoever considered themselves the native population, they got invaded from the outside 50 times. So it's developed a almost genetic paranoia in the Russians that they need to create buffers between them and the pe- people that they fear most. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, um, and Ukraine was part of Soviet Union, of course. It was a crucial yeah. part of Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. It was the most productive agricultural part of Soviet Union. It was also uh, very productive in manufacturing and science and technology. And so it's an affront, kind of, I guess, to the leader of Russia that 30 years after the Soviet Union collapse, which he considered the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century was the collapse of the Soviet Union, Um, you know, for him, I guess, not for me. And, and, and he's seen Ukraine do nothing but prosper and his own country going downhill. And I think it's Mm -hmm. an affront to him. So he attacks them, you know, but uh, Peter Zion now is being invited into the Pentagon and to the war college into all the high level military think tanks and everything. And he said, and being asked to lay out predictions and battle plans for these things. And, but he laid the groundwork with his books. So he had three books yeah. that were very counter, you know, counterintuitive because he, everybody else was predicting unlimited expanding, accelerating, kumbaya, everybody's in love with everybody else. We're just one big one love family. Yeah. One uh-huh. love family. And he said, well, it kind of looks that way just for the time being, but that's not where it's going. And so, and so 
he's taken advantage now and YouTube, he's really gotten good at it. I mean, his, and now what he is doing debates with people who don't agree with him and they're very stimulating because he looks like a, a Cy Young winning major league pitcher uh-huh. pitching to high school batters, you know, he, wow. You know, they don't even see the ball <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. when he, when he pitches, but he takes him out. I mean, he's very respectful and everything like that, but somebody will go on for about a minute and say why this and this is going to happen. And, and he said, well, I disagree with you. And quite frankly, I don't <laughs> think, I, I don't think that anything you just predicted is actually going to happen. As a matter of fact, you can see the signs. I'll give you some of the signs that it's, just the opposite from what you predict and is going to happen. And then he goes on and explains it. <clears throat> and I think he enjoys it. You know, I think he enjoys it. So he's, he never loses, he never gets ruffled by anything. And so it's a, it's an interesting, and I, I came back. And so my sense is that it's a perfect time for, if you have real expertise that you feel confident about, and it's got a lifespan going ahead of you, this is a really good time to position yourself with YouTube. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's just because it truly is a meritocracy in that the cream does actually rise to the top. You know, if you've got something that people want to hear, that is, that's a good thing. And we're seeing it again and again. I think that's really a, those barriers are down and you're seeing what's Mm -hmm. leading the way is certainly entertainment. I mean, when you see that's little Nas X and that's the Bridgerton musical mm-hmm. girls, you know, that mm-hmm. starting from scratch, from nothing to make the Bridgerton musical and win a Grammy, you know, from coming from nowhere is a, that can only happen in Cloudlandia. That now that everybody's yeah. wired, mm-hmm. everybody everybody has a access to everybody, you know? Yeah. And I've been noticing that Netflix has really been scrambling over the last two or three months. And I think one of the reasons is that COVID for all practical purposes is over as far as people's daily habits go. Yeah. And they picked up a huge audience during COVID because there was no alternative. And so I think what happened is they were making all some parts of their company were making plans that were simply based on yeah. a temporary, temporary situation, temporary mm-hmm. opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I think things have gotten back to more competitive where people well, there's are doing more, all- there's way more opportunities for uh, television and I call it television programming, but I, to me, television is anything I can sit on my couch with my remote and watch access. To. So mm-hmm. those, that whole landscape is called over the top or OTT over the top of the existing cable infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Anybody can have their own access to that. And so mm-hmm. YouTube is certainly one of those places that anybody like uh, all of the YouTube that I watch is on the television and it's no different than watching thing on broadcast television. I would say that 
percent of our viewing was was you know real time select or time shifted like recorded watching it on demand at my choice and there's just so much available you know i really do see the opportunity for curation in this you know that there's just we're hopeless against being able to discover everything you know and that's i think there's let's go back to, to that let's go back to the beginning of the discussion because yeah. i think curation is very important but self create yeah. self curation is really yeah. a skill above you know, in other words, we've, we're asking other people to kind of curate what's interesting to us. And, mm-hmm. um, um, but well, we're the one when we're to... doing, even when we're doing self curation, Dan, the algorithms that are watching our creation are building a, you know, a, under the radar curation method that is presenting things to us that are in line with what our previous choices have been. Mm-hmm. If we were to look at, even in search engines, and like Google is doing that, YouTube is doing that. So even though it appears that we have free will and that we're hunting raw from all of the choices that are available out there to discover, we're actually searching from the subset of all of that raw material that Google thinks is what you mean by what you're searching Mm -hmm. based Mm -hmm. on your historical choices that you've made, right? So if Mm -hmm. you and I were to search the same things, we would get different, we would get different results. Yeah. The problem is, you know, the belief in that I think is a bit depressing because mm-hmm. I'm unpredictable to myself. So I don't <laughs> think I'm going to be, I, I don't think I'm going to be predictable to somebody else. Right. In other words, we are having a, I'm writing a book right now, a little quarterly book. Imagine that's called, <laughs> that's called, <laughs> you are not a computer. Okay? Right. You are not a computer. And I said, <laughs> I'm just going to, put out a little test to see if you agree that this is true. And I said, I have 10 human beings lined up or they're in a circle and I have, I have a hundred computers that are connected to each other. Okay. I'm going to put a message in the ear of the first human being who then has to pass it on whispering to the second who does the third all the way through to 10 and Mm -hmm. 10 comes back and reports what they think the message is, and yeah. in most cases, it doesn't have any resemblance to right. what the first message was. Okay, uh-huh. so and that's well known, and uh, that's well known, and it's seen as uh, negative proof that human beings are not reliable. You know, they're not reliable, and you can't mm-hmm. really count on human beings on sending a consistent message. Then you do a hundred computers and, uh, you know, we naturally expect, and it's usually always true that the message sent through the first computer is the same for the other 99. And, uh, you know, you could make it a thousand computers, you could make it a million. And that's what the whole value of that technology is. Uh, If you send the message here, it's a consistent message that gets uh, distributed 
uh, have multiplied any number of times. And that's considered Mm -hmm. why computers are so much better than human beings. But it's based on a premise that these are both information processing organisms. There's a human who's an information processing organism, and there's computers. And therefore, this new invented organism is much superior at the one thing that human beings are valuable for is information processing. And that's only true if you think that humans are information processors. And I would suggest that you've never processed any information in your life, nor have I, nor anyone you know, (laughs) that we take in experience and we immediately transform it into new forms of meaning. We're We're not not information processors, okay? And the great value of humans, if you rank them, are the ones who can take in new experience and turn it into meaning that's valuable to other human beings. And no computer can do that. As a matter of fact, it's a, we don't want a computer that doesn't do things predictably mm-hmm. inconsistent. <clears throat> so yeah, that, I think that, yeah. So anyway. That reminds me of Jamie Smart, Jamie Smart's book, Clarity, that, you know, you said we're meaning makers. And that's, that reminds me that, you know, Jamie's idea that the uh, we're everything that we feel or everything that that we experience is happening from the inside out and not from the outside <clears throat> in. Because you can take, you know, the people can take the same set of inputs and run it through their meaning making machine. And it can turn into meaning something that causes a reaction of anxiety or depression or the negative spiral of thing that you've associated the meaning of that input to. Or if you have the ability to realize that the input is not what's creating your reaction to it, you can, you know, really just make a meaning you know, less anxiety producing, I guess, or whatever, whatever you want from it, whatever's going to serve you. So I think, you know, Mr. Beast, Jimmy Donaldson is interesting, not because he's an information processor, but he's a meaning maker. Mm -hmm. Um, He creates all sorts of new meaning on a continual basis that other people find intriguing, useful, you know, and yeah, instructive. And uh, it's amazing and, how thoughtful he is about the process. Uh, how it seems like it's just kind of randomly put together and stuff. They're, you know, <clears throat> studying frame by frame every everything in those videos to make the very best videos. And by very best, meaning compelling that keep people watching and keep them coming back. Um, he, and so single-mindedly focused yeah. on that purpose. I saw a, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and very, you know, it was a really good look at the inner workings of the way he thinks about that and how it all came about. But he's a different cat 
than most well, people. Well, you know, I mean, it's it's human genius in taking advantage of a new medium. Yes. Yeah, and being yeah. there at the right well. I, guess I mean, no. Um, Some people might think that it's too mature now that you can't really, you know, that it can't, you probably can't build something like Mr. Beast has built now. And I'm well, not I, doing it, not doing it the way that he's doing it. But uh, I agree right. with that. Yes. I mean, he'll yeah. have a lot of copycat, copycat artists now. Yes. We'll sure. do a Mr. Beast and they... Uh, that's not why he started doing it. I mean, I mean, you have to understand what was <clears throat> what's in his mind about what he's doing, and you know, and I don't think that's discoverable because he's just finding out himself. But it's a really interesting thing. The big things that he's chosen to focus attention on, like that, you know, I think they're. One of the things he did was, you know, organize all of the YouTubers to do a drive and they're planting 20 million trees, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. And now they're, they've shifted to clearing the ocean of the plastics. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of resting, you know, when you can mobilize that collective audience of all of the top YouTubers towards a practical outcome, something that's actually doable, you know, that there's going to be a lot of change. You know know what I think though? I think that's where the model will start to fail. Okay. Okay. Tell me what you think. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's politics. You're moving into politics Mm, now. mm -hmm. My feeling is, once you move across the line from entertainment to politics, uh-huh. uh, for, first of all, the purposes are more theoretical in politics than they are in entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they either switch, stay with you, or they switch you off immediately. Politics mm-hmm. doesn't operate operate that way, and you get preachy. There's a tendency to get preachy when you do that and it's funny i don't know why it is that really successful people have to prove that who have done great good for the world in the area of entertainment have to now prove it in the area of improving the planet i I always find the message goes sideways when you Mm. try to improve the planet you know i mean that's interesting because uh, you know the politicians like you know beto o'rourke Beto O'Rourke, yeah, he's a, got a little. He's, he's, a, stand, he's a stand-up comic. Uh, I haven't seen one like that before, you know. And he got a lot of heat this past couple of weeks by ambushing that meeting meeting about the <clears throat> shooting in Texas. I saw a meme that was really sort of indicative of what's going on. It was like a circle with the arrows, you know, going around indicating the cycle of this where there's a school shooting everybody gets angry then there's lots of facebook arguments and something's got to be done then nothing happens then crickets and then school shooting <laughs> and it starts yeah. again right and that whole well but they're not they're that. not they're not going after the central issue which is that schools are wonderful places to do shootings because it's a gun-free zone. It's a gun-free zone. 
the shooter has no competition when he goes right. to a school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell him that there's five armed guards that have Uzis. Then he's yeah. going to pick another school. He's going to pick another school. Yeah. Right. I mean, if the moment you get out of your car, you get shot down. Uh, you know, because there's yeah. a guard with a newsie walking the parking lot. You, that you, was what, you'd uh, reach, yeah, I yeah. mean, that's the central issue, that they're gun-free zones. Yeah, you know, we I mean, also said that about uh, 9-11, that 9-11 happens and we didn't ban planes, we secured the cockpit. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, and that. and you had a federal official who checked checked the cockpits, a federally designated, you know, company person or airport person who, after the cleaners are finished with the plane, you go through and you check on, check underneath yeah. the seats to see if they've taped taped you know box cutters under oh, that because wow. that's yeah because the cleaning staff one of the women was the husband of one of the well or was someone who was affiliated with the kidnapper, not the uh-huh. house, the terrorist, let's put it where, uh-huh. let's put the emphasis where it was, the terrorist. Right. And she could bring in five or six box cutters. And, you know, she was alone in parts of the plane and she taped six of them. She knew what seats they were um, oh, because boy. they had already scheduled. And that's, it was the box cutters that they had left. So now they have someone who goes through and, has a metal detector, you know, metal detector yeah. and goes down and deep, deep because it shouldn't be there. And wow. they find the box cutter and that does it. But the thing is, there was a, another Texas, was a Texas situation in a church where on a Sunday, the shooter got up to shoot the congregation and mm-hmm. about six, six members of the congregation I remember were carrying. That. Yeah. Caring, and he was dead. He was dead in 15 seconds. I mean, yeah. I mean, the moment he got up, there were six guns on him, and that kind of tells you, if you're a shooter, don't go to that church. That's not a good church right. to go to. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I have a client. She has. She had a great formula, and she said, "I've got. I think what is a formula for world peace?" So she said, "Certainly, making it a less dangerous." world. And I said, what's the formula? She says, well, first of all, everybody's required to carry. So mm-hmm. 8 billion people are required to carry. And she says, and everybody gets one free kill. <laughs> wow. And she says, so you're always really polite because you don't know if the person <laughs> you're talking me. to has got their, right. has got their free kill. in. Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. But my feeling is that it sounds really crass. It sounds really callous. Right. But solutions are at that level than confiscating all the guns. You know, that's not really a solution. That's not really a solution. And uh, and I was looking it up just because they're talking about gun control and, you know, that they'll confiscate guns. And I said, check the last two years. This would be the year 20. 2020 and 2021, the purchases, the legal purchases of firearms in the United States. What do you think the number is? Okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to press you on this, but I'll give you mm. the answer. It was 41 million, 41 million right. new firearms in a two-year period. 40. So Canada historically, right up until it has 22 million 
firearms. Okay, that's mm-hmm. for the entire history of Canada right. up until the moment is 22. And the United States in two years has 41. And I said, where would you start the confiscation campaign if you had 41 million? And every day that you confiscate, you know, you confiscate 10,000 guns or 100,000 guns, you've fallen further behind because there were more new guns right. well, acquired. I heard there's 500 million yeah, guns it is in the United States. Yeah, there is more than uh, people. Yeah, well, civilians in the United States have 400 times more weapons than the military. Yeah. Okay. The U.S. military. And they have 100 times more weapons than all the police forces. And that would include. We're number one. (laughs) I saw the in terms of we're number one in mass shootings, too, by a factor of that we're there in the. I think in one year there were 288 and the next, the second is eight <laughs> countries. I mean, in terms of countries that have Yeah, had, but you're uh, not including places like the Congo and, you know, right. uh, Sudan and other places. There's places where there's, it's not been a successful day if you haven't had five mass shootings. Right. Of kind or another, you know, so but I, I mean, those are yeah, military ca- ca- ones. You, you're comparing it to Sweden or something like that. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where you can watch time slowing down, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, well, it's interesting. But it, first of all, we're not used to operating in, you know, as individuals. We're just not, we're not any good at thinking in terms of big population numbers because we ourselves really as far as meaningful relationships we you know we're at most maybe a hundred you know a hundred people you know and so uh, dunbar uh, robin dunbar dunbar's Dunbar's law yeah 150 people that's the yeah that's what we're capable of right yeah yeah of usefully interacting with you know, yes, well, yes. from a social and a work yes. standpoint, 150 right. is. That's yeah, and I, I, I mean, we put a limit that we will, we can go 10 times in strategic coach with the addition of only 30 more staff, which would get us to 150. Yeah. yeah. And we have that as a model that any growth thing that we do, the company can't get bigger than 150 people. Wow. Yeah. And uh, Zoom has been the breakthrough. We can do it with Zoom. Yes. Wow. Well, I can't believe how fast this has gone. Yeah. Well, we, it was so you nice know, to catch we, up. Yep. Uh, same time next week. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Okay. Bye. bye.